0: Be sure to follow Send Me To Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Welcome to Send Me To Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew. I'm here to calm your mind and help you relax into a peaceful night's sleep. I'm going to do that by reading you a story... Tonight, I'll be reading Chapters 22 and 23 of The Phantom of the Opera by Gaston Leroux. In the previous chapter, the Persian and Monsieur de Chagny had just entered Eric's house via the torture chamber. This chapter has some themes that some listeners may find unsettling, so if you're not prepared for that this evening, maybe give this one a miss. And now, let's make sure we're ready to fall asleep. If you haven't already, find yourself somewhere to get cozy, be it in a chair, or in your bed, or elsewhere, and make yourself as comfortable as you can be, either sitting up or laying down, eyes open or eyes closed. Everyone falls asleep in their own time and in their own way. So as you're on your journey to sleep tonight, all you'll have to do is listen to the sound of my voice. And so, let your eyes fall heavy, and your breath soften, as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 22. In the torture chamber. The Persian's narrative continued. We were in the middle of a little six-cornered room, the sides of which were covered with mirrors from top to bottom. In the corners, we could clearly see the joins in the glasses, the segments intended to turn on their gear. Yes. I recognised them, and I recognised the iron tree in the corner, at the bottom of one of those segments. The iron tree, with its iron branches, for the hanged men. I seized my companion's arm. The vicomte de Chagny was all a-quiver, eager to shout to his betrothed that he was bringing her help. I feared that he would not be able to contain himself. Suddenly, we heard a noise on our left. It sounded at first like a door opening and shutting in the next room, and then there was a dull moan. I clutched Monsieur de Chagny's arm more firmly still, and then we distinctly heard these words. You must make your choice, The wedding mass or the requiem mass? I recognised the voice of the monster. There was another moan, followed by a long silence. I was persuaded by now that the monster was unaware of our presence in his house, for otherwise he would certainly have managed not to let us hear him he would only have had to have closed the little invisible window through which the torture lovers looked down into the torture chamber. Besides, I was certain that, if he had known of our presence, the torturers would have begun at once. The important thing was not to let him know, and I dreaded nothing more so much as the impulsiveness of the vicomte de Chagny. We wanted to rush through the walls to Christine Day, whose moans we continued to hear at intervals. The Requiem Mass is not at all pleasant, Eric's voice resumed, whereas the Wedding Mass, you can take my word for it, is magnificent. You must take a resolution and know your mind, I can't go on living like this. Like a mole in a burrow. Don Juan Triumphant is finished. And now I want to live like everybody else. I want to have a wife like everybody else. And to take her out on Sundays. I have invented a mask that makes me look like anybody. People will not even turn round in the streets. You will be the happiest of women. And we will sing... All by ourselves till we swoon away with delight. You are crying, you are afraid of me, and yet I am not really wicked. Love me, and you shall see. All I wanted was to be loved for myself. If you loved me, I should be as gentle as a lamb, and you could do anything with me that you pleased. Soon, the moans that accompanied this sort of love's litany increased and increased. I've never heard anything more despairing, and Monsieur de Chagny and I recognized that this terrible lamentation came from Eric himself. Christine seemed to be standing dumb with horror, without the strength to cry out, while the monster was on his knees before her. Three times over, Eric fiercely bewailed his fate. You don't love me, you don't love me, you don't love me. And then more gently, why do you cry? You know it gives me pain to see you cry. A silence. Each silence gave us fresh hope. We said to ourselves. Perhaps he has left Christine behind the wall, and we thought only of the possibility of warning Christine Day of our presence, unknown to the monster. We were unable to leave the torture chamber now, unless Christine opened the door to us, and it was only on this condition that we could hope to help her, for we did not even know where the door might be. Suddenly, the silence in the next room was disturbed by the ringing of an electric bell. There was a bound on the other side of the wall, and Eric's voice of thunder. Somebody ringing. Walk in, please. A sinister chuckle. Who had come bothering now? Wait for me here. I'm going to tell the siren to open the door. Steps moved away, a door closed. I had no time to think of the fresh horror that he was preparing. I forgot that the monster was only going out, perhaps to penetrate a fresh crime. I understood but one thing, Christine was alone behind the wall. The Vicomte de Chagny was already calling to her. Christine! Christine! As we could hear what was said in the next room, there was no reason why my companion should not be heard in his turn. Nevertheless, the Viscount had to repeat his cry after a time. At last, a faint voice reached us. I am dreaming, it said. Christine, Christine, it is I, Raoul. A silence. But answer me, Christine, in heaven's name. If you are alone, answer me. Then Christine's voice whispered Raoul's name. Yes, yes, it is I. It is not a dream. Christine, trust me. We are here to save you, but be prudent, when you hear the monster, warn us." Then Christine gave way to fear. She trembled, lest Eric should discover where Raoul was hidden. She told us, in a few hurried words, that Eric had gone quite mad with love, and that he had decided to kill everybody, and himself with everybody if she did not consent to be his wife. He had given her until 11 o'clock the next evening for reflection. It was the last respite. She must choose, as he said, between the wedding mass and the requiem. And Eric had then uttered a phrase which Christine did not quite understand. Yes or no, If your answer is no, everybody will be dead and buried. But I understood the sentence perfectly, for it corresponded in a terrible manner with my own dreadful thought. Can you tell us where Eric is? I asked. She replied that he must have left the house. Could you make sure? No, I am fastened. I cannot stir a limb. When we heard this, Monsieur de Chagny and I gave a yell of fury. Our safety, the safety of all three of us, depended on the girl's liberty of movement. But where are you? asked Christine. There are only two doors in my room, the Louis-Philippe room of which I told you, Raoul. A door through which Eric comes and goes, and another which he has never opened before me, and which he has forbidden me to ever go through, because he says it is the most dangerous of the doors, the door of the torture chamber. Christine, that is where we are. You are in the torture chamber? Yes, but we cannot see the door. Oh, If I could only drag myself so far, I would knock at the door, and that would tell you where it is." "'Is it a door with a lock to it?' I asked. "'Yes, with a lock.' "'Mademoiselle,' I said, "'it is absolutely necessary that you should open that door to us.'" "'But how?' asked the poor girl tearfully. We heard her straining trying to free herself from the bonds that held her. I know where the key is, she said, in a voice that seemed exhausted but the effort she had made. But I am fastened so tight. Oh, the wretch! And she gave a sob. Where is the key? I asked, signing to Monsieur de Chagny not to speak and to leave the business to me for we had not a moment to lose. In the next room, near the organ, with another little bronze key, which he also forbade me to touch. They are both in a little leather bag, which he calls the bag of life and death. Raoul, Raoul, fly. Everything is mysterious and terrible here, and Eric will soon have gone quite mad and you are in the torture chamber. Go back by the way you came. There must be a reason why the room is called by that name. Christine, said the young man, we will go from here together, or die together. We must keep cool, I whispered. Why has he fastened you, Mademoiselle? You can't escape from his house, and he knows it. I tried to commit suicide. The monster went out last night, after carrying me here, fainting and half-chloroformed. He was going to his banker, so he said. When he returned, he found me with my face covered with blood. I had tried to kill myself by striking my forehead against the wall. Christine groaned Raoul, and he began to sob then he bound me. I am not allowed to die until eleven o'clock tomorrow evening. Mademoiselle, I declared, the monster bound you and he shall unbind you. You have only to play the necessary part. Remember that he loves you. Alas, we heard, am I likely to forget it? Remember it, And smile to him. Entreat him. Tell him that your bonds hurt. But Christine Day said, Hush, I hear something in the wall on the lake. It is he. Go away. Go away. We could not go away, even if we wanted to, I said as impressively as I could. We cannot leave this, and we are in the torture chamber. Hush, whispered Christine again. Heavy steps sounded slowly behind the wall, then stopped and made the floor creak once more. Next came a tremendous sigh, followed by a cry of horror from Christine, and we heard Eric's voice. I beg your pardon for letting you see a face like this. What a state I am in, am I not? It's the other one's fault. Why did he ring? Do I ask people who pass to tell me the time? He will never ask anybody the time again. It is the siren's fault. Another sigh, deeper, more tremendous still, came from the abysmal depths of a soul. Why did you cry out Christine? Because I am in pain, Eric. I thought I had frightened you. Eric, unloose my bonds. Am I not your prisoner? You will try to kill yourself again. You have given me until eleven o'clock tomorrow evening, Eric. The footsteps dragged along the floor again. After all, as we are to die together, and I am just as eager as you, yes... I have had enough of this life, you know. Wait, don't move. I will release you. You have only one word to say. No, and it will at once be over with everybody. You are right. You are right. Why wait till 11 o'clock tomorrow evening? True, it would have been grander, finer, But that is childish nonsense. We should only think of ourselves in this life, of our own death. The rest doesn't matter. You're looking at me because I'm all wet? Oh, my dear, it's raining cats and dogs outside. Apart from that, Christine, I think I am subject to hallucinations. You know, the man who rang at the siren's door just now. Go and look if he's ringing at the bottom of the lake. Well, he was rather like. There, turn round. Are you glad? You're free now. Oh, my poor Christine. Look at your wrists. Tell me, have I hurt them? That alone deserves death. Talking of death, I must sing his requiem. Hearing these terrible remarks, I received an awful presentment. I too had once rung at the monster's door, and, without knowing it, must have set some warning current in motion. And I remembered the two arms that had emerged from the murky waters. What poor wretch had strayed to that shore this time? Who was the other one? The one whose requiem we now heard sung. Eric sang like the god of thunder, sang a dire ziray that enveloped us all in a storm. The elements seemed to rage around us. Suddenly, the organ and the voice ceased so suddenly that Monsieur de Chagny sprang back on the other side of the wall with emotion, and the voice, changed and transformed, distinctly grated out these metallic syllables. What have you done with my bag? Chapter 23 The Tortures Begin The Persian's narrative continued. The voice repeated angrily. What have you done with my bag? So it was to take my bag that you asked me to release you. We heard hurried steps, Christine running back to the Louis-Philippe room as though to seek shelter on the other side of our wall. What are you running away for? asked the furious voice, which had followed her. "'Give me back my bag, will you? Don't you know that it is the bag of life and death?' "'Listen to me, Eric,' sighed the girl. "'As it is settled that we are to live together, what difference can it make to you?' "'You know there are only two keys in it,' said the monster. "'What do you want to do?' I want to look at this room which I have never seen and which you have always kept from me. It's woman's curiosity, she said, in a tone which she tried to render playful. But the trick was too childish for Eric to be taken in by it. I don't like curious women, he retorted, and you had better remember the story of Bluebeard and be careful. Come, give me back my bag. Give me back my bag. Leave the key alone, will you, you inquisitive little thing? And he chuckled while Christine gave a cry of pain. Eric had evidently recovered the bag from her. At that moment, The Viscount could not help uttering an exclamation of impotent rage. Why, what's that? said the monster. Do you hear, Christine? No, no, replied the poor girl. I heard nothing. I thought I heard a cry. A cry? Are you going mad, Eric? Whom do you expect to give a cry? In this house, I cried out because you hurt me. I heard nothing. I don't like the way you said that. You're trembling. You're quite excited. You're lying. That was a cry. There was a cry. There is someone in the torture chamber. Ah, I understand now. There is no one there, Eric. I understand. No one. The man you want to marry, perhaps. I don't want to marry anybody. You know I don't. Another nasty chuckle. Well, it won't take long to find out. Christine, my love, we need not open the door to see what is happening in the torture chamber would you like to see? Would you like to see? Look, if there is really someone there, you will see the invisible window light up at the top, near the ceiling. We need only draw the black curtain and put out the light in here. There, that's it. Let's put out the light. You're not afraid of the dark? when you're with your little husband." Then we heard Christine's voice of anguish. No, I'm frightened, I tell you, I'm afraid of the dark. I don't care about that room now. You're always frightening me, like a child with your torture chamber. And so I became inquisitive, but I don't care about it now. Not a bit, not a bit. And that which I feared above all things began automatically. We were suddenly flooded with light. Yes, on our side of the wall, everything seemed aglow. The Vicomte de Chagny was so much taken aback that he staggered, and the angry voice roared. "'I told you there was someone. Do you see the window now? The lighted window, right up there. "'The man behind the wall can't see it, but you shall go up to the folding steps. "'That is what they are there for. You have often asked me to tell you, and now you know. "'They are there to give a peep into the torture chamber.' you inquisitive little thing. What tortures? Who is being tortured? Eric. Eric. Say you are only trying to frighten me. Say it if you love me, Eric. There are no tortures, are there? Go and look at the little window, dear. I do not know if the Viscount heard the girl's swooning voice, for he was too much occupied by the astounding spectacle that now appeared before his distracted gaze. As for me, I had seen that sight too often through the little window, at the time of the rosy hours of Maison Derren, and I cared only for what was being said next door, seeking for a hint how to act, what resolution to take. Go and peep through the little window. Tell me what he looks like. We heard the steps being dragged against the wall. Up with you. No. No, I will go up myself, dear. Oh, very well. I will go up. Let me go. Oh, my darling. My darling, how sweet of you, how nice of you to save me the exertion at my age. Tell me what he looks like. At that moment, we distinctly heard these words above our heads. There is no one in there, dear. No one? Are you sure there is no one? Why, of course not. No one. Well, that's alright. What's the matter, Christine? You're not going to faint, are you? As there is no one there. Here, come down. There, pull yourself together. As there is no one there. But how do you like the landscape? Oh, very much There, that's better. You're better now, are you not? That's all right, you're better. No excitement. And what a funny house, isn't it, with landscapes like that? Yes, it's like the Muse Grevin. But, say, Eric, there are no torches in there. What a fright you gave me! Why, as there is no one there. Did you design that room? It's very handsome. You're a great artist, Eric. Yes, a great artist, in my own line. But tell me, Eric, why did you call that room the torture chamber? Oh, it's very simple. First of all, what did you see? I saw a forest. And what is in a forest? Trees. And what is in a tree? Birds. Did you see any birds? No, I did not see any birds. Well, what did you see? Think. You saw branches. And what are the branches? asked the terrible voice. There's a gibbet. That is why I call my wood the torture chamber. You see, it's all a joke. I never express myself like other people. But I am very tired of it. I'm sick and tired of having a forest and a torture chamber in my house and of living like a mountback in a house with a false bottom. I'm tired of it. I want to have a nice, quiet flat with ordinary doors and windows, and a wife inside it, like anybody else. A wife whom I should love and take out on Sundays and keep amused on weekdays. Here, shall I show you some card tricks? That will help us to pass a few minutes while waiting for 11 o'clock tomorrow evening. My dear little Christine, are you listening to me? Tell me you love me. No, you don't love me. But no matter. You will. Once you could not look at my mask because you knew what was behind. And now you don't mind looking at it, and you forget what is behind. One can get used to everything if one wishes. Plenty of young people who did not care for each other before marriage have adored each other since. Oh, I don't know what I'm talking about, but you would have lots of fun with me. For instance, I am the greatest ventriloquist that ever lived. I am the first ventriloquist in the world. You're laughing. Perhaps you don't believe me, Listen, the wretch, who really was the first ventriloquist in the world, was only trying to divert the child's attention from the torture chamber. But it was a stupid scheme, for Christine thought of nothing but us. She repeatedly besought him in the gentlest tones which she could assume. Put out the light in the little window, Eric, do put out the light in the little window. For she saw that this light, which appeared so suddenly and of which the monster had spoken in so threatening a voice, must mean something terrible. One thing must have pacified her for a moment, and that was seeing the two of us, behind the wall, in the midst of that resplendent light, alive and well but she would certainly have felt much easier if the light had been put out. Meantime, the other had already begun to play the ventriloquist. He said, Here, I raise my mask a little. Oh, only a little. You see my lips, such lips as I have. They're not moving. My mouth is closed such mouth as I have, and yet you hear my voice? Where will you have it? In your left ear? In your right ear? In the table? In those little ebony boxes on the mantelpiece? Listen, it's in the little box on the right of the mantelpiece. What does it say? Shall I turn the scorpion? And now, Crack, what does it say in the little box on the left? Shall I turn the grasshopper? And now, crack, here it is in the little leather bag. What does it say? Am I the little bag of life and death? And now, crack, it is in Carlotta's throat, in Carlotta's golden throat in Carlotta's crystal throat as I live. What does it say? It says, It's I, Mr. Toad. It's I singing. I feel without alarm. Quack with its melody, and wind me, quack. And now, crack. It's on a chair in the ghost's box, and it says, Madame Carlotta is singing tonight to bring the chandelier down. And now, crack, aha, where is Eric's voice now? Listen, Christine darling, listen, it is behind the door of the torture chamber. Listen, it's myself in the torture chamber. And what do I say? I say... Woe to them that have a nose, a real nose, and come to look round the torture chamber. Ah ha ah, ah, ha ah. ha. Oh, and the ventriloquist's terrible voice. It was everywhere, everywhere. It passed through the little invisible window, through the walls. It ran around us, between us. Eric was there, speaking to us. We made a movement as though to fling ourselves upon him, but already swifter, more fleeting than the voice of the echo, Eric's voice had leaped back behind the wall. Soon we heard nothing more at all, for this is what happened. Eric ''Eric,'' said Christine's voice. ''You tire me with your voice. Don't go on, Eric. Isn't it very hot here?'' ''Oh yes,'' replied Eric's voice. ''The heat is unendurable.'' ''But what does this mean? The wall is really getting quite hot. The wall is burning.'' I'll tell you, Christine, dear. It is because of the forest next door. Well, what has that to do with it? The forest? Why, didn't you see that it was an African forest? And the monster laughed so loudly and hideously that we could no longer distinguish Christine's supplicating cries the Vicomte de Chagny shouted and banged against the walls like a madman. I could not restrain him, but we heard nothing except the monster's laughter, and the monster himself can have heard nothing else. And then there was the sound of a body falling on the floor and being dragged along, and a door slammed, and then nothing, Nothing more around us save the scorching silence of the south in the heart of a tropical forest.